Maryland recently passed a law prohibiting price gouging on essential off-patent or generic drugs. The law allows the Attorney General to intervene when price increases on such medications are considered unjustified and legally unconscionable. And it also authorizes the state's Medicaid program to notify the Attorney General of substantial price increases on certain off-patent drugs. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jeremy Green, a professor of the history of medicine at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Green has co-authored a perspective article about the new Maryland law. Dr. Green, as you write in your article, the law specifically targets companies that hike prices on non-competitive off-patent drugs. How common is this type of price gouging? Well, it's surprising. It's the sort of thing that 10 years or so ago we would have thought would not have happened at all. Understandably, the way that we think about pharmaceutical innovation and pharmaceutical access and pharmaceutical pricing in the United States is often based on a naturalized sense of the life cycle of a drug, that prices might be high when a drug is initially released and is on patent, and we understand those prices are high in part to maintain a return on investment and incent further innovation. And then the assumption is when a drug goes off patent, the invisible hand works, all these other competitors swoop in, prices go down, and drugs become affordable. And it's really only in the past 10 years, and especially in the past five years, that we've become aware that this model can break down. There can be sectors of the off-patent drug market in which drugs never really become competitive and never see that price decrease. And indeed, when their numbers of competitors dwindle below three, can instead see these tournaments of pricing where the price ratchets upwards. And so I think this became most publicly visible surrounding the case of Daraprim and the figure of Martin Shkreli, the CEO of Turing Pharmaceuticals, who became the face of this form of price gouging on old essential medicine when he announced the increase in price of a pill of Daraprim from $13.50 to $750 a pill overnight, justifying it by saying repeatedly, effectively, that he did this because he could, and there was nothing that existed in the law that to state that such an action was illegal or stoppable. And since that time, we've seen a number of other cases, very high-profile cases, the drug price hikes on EpiPen and other essential medicines, particularly for the treatment of anaphylaxis, in which the company that was raising the price on this off-patent drug nonetheless had an effective monopoly for a series of reasons that protected the market. We could say a market that should be an undefensible monopoly. We would have expected to see competition, and yet for a variety of reasons, competition had not come. And we did a survey of the off-patent drug marketplace and realized that a substantial portion of drugs, more than 30% of off-patent drugs have three or fewer manufacturers registered through the FDA's Orange Book. So it's not a trivial incident. We've seen more of them as this law was being debated in the Martin, Maryland legislature, the issue of price gouging on naloxone, another off-patent drug, which has seen its price increase dramatically in the face of an opioid epidemic take place. So on the one hand, I think the majority of off-patent drugs, we do see the promise of generic competition play out. I don't want to suggest that the generic drug industry hasn't done remarkable things to make medicines affordable for the American public. And yet, there is a non-trivial section of the off-patent drug marketplace where reverse monopoly, where dwindling competition or non-existent competition allows for extraordinary price gouging to take place, in which case patients and providers are essentially helpless to do anything about it. So if you look at the situation more broadly, how much can these expensive older medications be blamed for rising drug spending in the United States across the board? Can a law like Maryland's actually have a substantial effect on overall spending? 
Well, I think it's important to be clear here that in total dollar amount, the, the price tag attached to this is very small compared to the amount of drug spending that is attached to newer medicines, especially newer specialty medicines. And I think most big-picture pharmacoeconomic accounts would say that although this does take place, the total amount of dollars that this, these programs are going to save are relatively small. At the same time, here is a case in which these increased prices are completely uncoupled from any justified social good, as is the case which is commonly argued for the reason why on-patent drugs should need to be as expensive as they are. And so while the total drug spend here is much smaller than the amount that's being spent on on-patent specialty drugs, the case for there being any possible reason why these spike hikes are justifiable or in the interest of a public good is absolutely morally clear. There's not. So in that regard, you write that under the law, the Attorney General of Maryland will have to show that price increases are not only unjustified, but also legally unconscionable. How is that going to work in practice? Do you think those are going to be difficult cases to make? Well, I think it's a high bar to prove, and I think it's important that it should be a high bar to prove, because, again, this law is crafted, as I understand it, to very specifically address the Martin Shkreli's of the world, so that if someone wants to operate a business, as Shkreli's Turing Pharmaceuticals did, as Valiant Pharmaceutical did under Michael Pearson, as a number of other companies that have been investigated by the U.S. Congress in the past three years have demonstrated, if one wants to operate on this rather cynical model of acquiring an old off-patent medicine that is minimally competitive and then rent-seeking or raising prices, that that behavior can fairly clearly be shown to be legally unconscionable. But there's a reason why this standard should be high, which is to say this is a piece of legislation that should not affect the functioning of innovative drug makers. It shouldn't present a disincentive for producing a true new innovative drug. And it also shouldn't present any form of disincentive for a generic manufacturer to enter a marketplace in the interest of promoting true competition and bringing prices down. And I mention this just to point out that these are the reasons why the opposition to this bill from both the pharmaceutical lobby and biotech lobby, pharma and bio, and the generic industry lobby, now known as the AAM, Association for Affordable Medicine, surprises me in that it would seem to go along with the stated goals of both of these organizations. So, in other words, if unconscionability is a high bar, it will only applies to egregiously bad actors in this marketplace. But to get back to the basis of the question, the Attorney General doesn't have the power to decide what is unconscionable. The Attorney General has the ability to go before a court and present an argument for unconscionability that would be decided before a judge. And in other areas of the law in which unconscionability has applied, it's been seen to be a very high bar in the past. Now, that being said, showing that a 5,000% increase overnight in the price of an essential medicine for which a consumer has no other redress. I think the case of Darwin would clearly meet an unconscionability standard. So in the cases for which the law was designed, which has actually closed the loophole that Shkreli so cleverly manipulated and so clearly articulated for the American public, it seems to be entirely appropriate. So the law also authorizes the Medicaid program in Maryland to notify the Attorney General of price increases of 50% or more in a given year for drugs that cost more than $80 for a 30-day course. What was the intent of that provision? Is the hope that companies are going to stay below the radar by staying under those numbers? It's an important question. 
I think what you're seeing here is two key pieces of the way that the bill was put together. And the first and the most important, what we were just articulating, is that the standard of proof has to do with a legal doctrine of unconscionability and is argued in a realm of jurisprudence, evidence presented to meet a high bar in front of a court of law rather than legislated or regulated at a numerical threshold. Now, the second part of the bill that you're mentioning, the notification provisions, this is a means by which the state Medicaid program can act as a sense organ. So one of many possible ways by which the Attorney General's office can become alerted of off-patent drugs that are seeing precipitous price increases. Now, it's not the only sense organ, which is to say any physician or other healthcare provider that sees a precipitous price in an off-patent drug affecting their patients can also notify the Attorney General's office. And there's a portal whereby consumers themselves, as well as pharmacists, others involved in the chain, can directly inform the Attorney General's office. But in writing down the exact provisions by which the Maryland State Medicaid program would know when to send up a flag, these numerical figures came out of the legislative process. So $80 is not specifically seen as a threshold between when a drug becomes affordable or not affordable. It was really rather the byproduct of a negotiation process between different stakeholders in the bill, namely representatives of the pharmaceutical industry and the attorney general's office. You say in your article that as the lawmakers in Maryland were debating this bill, they received inquiries from other state governments who were looking to take similar action. Do you expect the Maryland law to become a model for other states? So this is a very interesting arena to watch. And I think you're right in pointing out this question, that this is one of many areas in which states are beginning to take actions to remedy the problem of increasing prescription drug prices in an area where federal action seems not to be forthcoming. Now, price gouging legislation is only one of these arenas. I think there's a bill that has recently passed the Nevada state legislature regarding insulin pricing. I mentioned briefly in the article the action that the Secretary of Health of the state of Louisiana has taken in an inquiry into a different pathway for finding solutions to the untenably high price of hepatitis C drugs in addressing the hepatitis crisis in the state of Louisiana. And all of these are different ways. You see, it's hard to find states that are not considering some form of action to directly address this problem of prescription drug spending. I think there's at least two reasons for this. And one is that state Medicaid programs, they are a tremendous amount of the brunt of pharmaceutical expenses. And so as prices continue to go up, they continue to divert state resources that then can't go towards other projects that are vital for state infrastructure. And the second is that the state is charged to a considerable extent with consumer protection. And so as in the case of price gouging, as in the case of insulin pricing in Nevada, if the federal government is not taking actions to adequately defend consumer interests, the state has a responsibility there as well. Now, there are a number of states that have expressed interest in Maryland's price gouging law, and these conversations are actively going. I can't particularly give you a count right now because I think it changes every week, but here is a model which could easily be transported in tax into other states. And there's also an interesting question of speculating what its effects will be on the national pharmaceutical scene even before it spreads to any other states, which is to say, if pricing is actionable in Maryland, then it's hard to see how a given off-patent drug manufacturer could justify a price increase in another state, but not in the state of Maryland without activating a broader inquiry or the possibility of a federal law in this arena.
Finally, you mentioned earlier new specialty drugs, another area of pharmaceuticals altogether. Do you know of any state or federal proposals to limit the prices in that area that are in the works? There are a number of proposals in the works. I think that it's hard to say at this point which are going to find the most traction. And I've been watching with great interest the different kinds of solutions that are proposed to help address this increased spending. They range from measures to increase drug price transparency, measures to deal with the processes by which purchasing happens to enable different kinds of price negotiation, mechanisms that might include forms of value-based pricing so that payment is attached to the explicit delivery of promised benefits on new drugs. And really, you see these different variants of these and other proposals floating around different parts of state legislatures and Washington, D.C. right now. It's very clear that something needs to be done, and something needs to be done soon. But the exact framework and the leadership for it is still taking shape. Thank you, Dr. Green.